Hey guys, in today's episode, I got to sit down with Rob Ionelli. Rob is the CEO and co-founder at Oceanworks, a plastic debris company making all sorts of trims and um, items for the apparel industry, for now at least, out of ocean debris plastic. Super innovative company, doing some really exciting things. He was also the founder at Norton Point Sunglasses, doing the same, making premium sunglasses out of uh, recycled ocean plastics. We, um, we had a great conversation up at his um, office up in Brentwood, and I got his opinion on sort of the state of the industry, got some insight into Rob's background, and just um, just some had some questions really about how the business runs, what they do, and sort of what he sees for the future of ocean plastics and sustainability and careers in general. So hope you enjoy the conversation. As always, let me know if you've got any questions or suggestions for future episodes. Welcome to the Underswell podcast, news, stories, brand insights, product reviews, all to help you navigate the complexities of sustainability in your modern lifestyle. As I like to say, business can be done better, and in some cases it is. I'm Derek Sabori, I'm your host, and hey, it's just sustainability. Let's dive into today's episode. Well, Rob, um, you and I met, um, gosh, we said it was maybe less than a year ago. Yeah, I think fall last year. Fall last year. Um, but you and I were connected, just sort of being interested in this in the similar space, doing sustainability and focusing on things as uh, kind of using a business as a, as a force for good, as they say in the B Corp world, right? And you've got a really interesting path, and I'm, I'm really intrigued by the things that you're doing. So I wanted to touch, I wanted to share some of your story and just kind of talk about sure. some of the things you're doing. So you are, Rob is the CEO and co-founder of a company called Oceanworks and the founder of Norton Point Sunglasses. And your latest ventures, they, they all revolve around the um, ocean debris and using ocean debris as, as a resource and, mm-hmm. um, as, and as a raw material. So some really exciting things. So I'm going to share, we'll make sure that in the, in the liner notes that everybody can know where to find you guys and find your companies. But maybe quickly tell us about, tell us about those two companies and sure. maybe how they overlap and, and what you do. Yeah. Um, so... Actually, as of recently, uh, OceanWorks has now basically subsumed um, Norton Point, so it's all underneath OceanWorks Inc. So Norton Point's just a subsidiary now. Uh, but the journey really started with um, wanting to make sunglasses out of ocean plastic. Uh, when we started to kind of map out the ideas for Norton Point and ocean plastics, uh, Boreo had launched um, sunglasses made from recovered fishing nets, mm-hmm. which we thought was really, really admirable. Um, and where we wanted to sort of differ was looking at more of a consumer plastics. So single-use plastics um, and starting with like high-density polyethylene, HD, PE. So uh, Norm Point started to kind of figure out what would the supply chain look like? Can you even manufacture with it? Can you make something really nice out of a very low-grade resin? Uh, so June 8th, almost a year, almost two years ago. Uh, so June 8th, 2016 on World Oceans Day, we launched Norton Point. Uh, on Kickstarter to really validate if people would care. Um, six days later, we were fully funded, uh, hitting our mark of like about thirty-seven and a half thousand dollars. And then within those thirty days, we raised just under sixty thousand. And it really kind of put not only Norton Point on a, on a map forward, but obviously myself personally starting to realize what have we done. Yeah. Um, and the the support and interest was. It was really overwhelming. Um, obviously, ocean plastics in the last two years have really started to pick up speed, and there's a lot more products now in the market, which we're excited about. How did you know? I mean, did you go into Norton Point with that idea of ocean plastics, or did you did you ever have a did you ever want it to be a regular company? Did you think about doing it just a regular way, or um, originally it was going to be sort of just sunglasses, and we would just build Norton Point into something as large as possible. Mm-hmm. What happened after the Kickstarter was what really started to plant the seeds for Oceanworks was we were contacted by so many existing consumer brands that said, hey, we want to get involved in ocean plastics. Can you help us? And that eventually became so prevalent that kind of took a step back and said, maybe the real or the larger impact here is is actually building a platform like Oceanworks 
to help de-risk and integrate ocean plastics into consumer brands rather than just building a sunglasses company. So it wasn't the original plan, but it was definitely something always wished for. So the fact that it's happening, I think proves that this is really starting to become a market and I think an entirely new industry around plastics. Yeah, and are you, um, so are both, do you run both companies simultaneously? Uh, yeah, so um, Oceanworks basically, that's my day to day, and then Norton Point um, kind of runs itself. We do a, a really big e-commerce business, so fulfillment center and such, so we don't do any like brick and mortar retail. We do a few, but not a lot. Uh, but essentially that was one giant proof of concept, and we're using it as a tool to sort of uh, also, you know, keep the lights on. It's it's nice to have you know sales and people are looking for ocean plastic products. Yeah. But the real play for us is you know how do we scale this into sort of a much larger business that has far more impact and can really remove a lot more tonnage of material from the ocean. And that's where you think um, OceanWorks comes into play, right? It does, because um, we're seeing interest from so many different industries, whether it's industrial packaging to uh, outdoor sports to home goods, uh, plastics are ubiquitous in our environments, um, but they just haven't been managed properly. So we really want to make it a much better proposition. Yeah, tell us, so I've got some questions on plastics. I know it's such an issue right now. It's a hot topic, plastic pollution is, and I think then people even are starting to look at plastics just differently in general. Sure. As, um, but I think maybe give us an idea of how the Ocean Works program works or how, how, the, how the business model works and mm-hmm. what you do, where you get your materials and mm-hmm. where, they, where they might go, where people Yeah, so find we're them. partnership driven. So we're a non-asset business. So we're not running factories. We're not uh, making the parts of the componentry. We're essentially assembling uh, supply chain as a service. So the biggest problem that we hear from brands is saying, we really want to do stuff with ocean plastics, but we have nowhere to start. We don't know where to get it, uh, how to get it, how to really understand if it's been vetted or if it's truly coming from you know an ocean environment. And then on top of that, how do we manufacture with it? How do we tell the story? So there's so many micro problems that we're finding that are getting in the way of sort of massive adoption. So what OceanWorks wants to do is essentially de-risk all of those issues and make it very frictionless and easy mm-hmm. so that it can be sort of um, a one-stop shop so that if you need HDPE for a certain type of application with a certain melt flow, uh, we go out to a, a system and network of partners, whether they're raw material collectors or actual processors who convert the raw plastic back into pellet and basically play a matchmaking service so that the brand gets exactly what they need at a price that's a competitive and affordable, the collectors are getting offtake, the processors are able to justify running the machinery to process this plastic because it's you have to shut down machines, set up different lines. Essentially, we want to add value at every step in the supply chain so that eventually the consumer has choice. Yeah. And what we've seen and what we believe is that consumers are going to really continue to act on that choice and choose products that have either a recycled content or more importantly, ocean plastic, you know, with the product. Okay, so a couple questions from the consumer standpoint. So you mentioned HDPE and there's LDPE, right? What's the difference and what kind of material do you look for? Sure, so LDPE traditionally is like your foils. Um, So that's, you know, you can make plastic bags out of HDPE, um, but typically we're looking for like a blow mold or injection grade. Um, you can turn that into any different amount of products. Okay. So essentially what normally would happen with these plastics is they'd be downcycled into lesser quality goods. Yep. What we're actually doing is trying to go the opposite direction. So taking a very shitty plastic, low, low, grade, low grade, grade plastic that was never designed for anything other than a cap on a bottle and turning that into a beautiful pair of $129 sunglasses. And are you guys able to do that? Is that what you do? We are, yeah. So that's really what we've been able to accomplish, um, both from a mechanical and engineering perspective, but also just conceptually, being able to put that proposition in front of the consumer. And we've been so remarkably you know, appreciative of that result is they want to buy it. They want to be a part of this. Yeah. So they're willing to kind of see plastic differently, and that's another one of our, our taglines. Yeah, I like that in your, uh, that started with Norton Point. That did, right? yeah, and now that kind of came over to, to Oceanworks. And that's kind of a big part of our ethos, both for the consumer and for brands, is to really rethink how you use plastic on a daily basis as a consumer, mm-hmm. but also for brands, like how do you, how you purchase and how do you procure plastic in your products? Because if I can come to you and have an ocean plastic that's, cost neutral to virgin, 
Um, one would think that you know the brand would make the decision to use a recycled material. One would think because the story there is is so incredible. There's impact, um, but we live in a kind of a crazy world. Yeah, you know, and, and plastic is still tied to oil. So, and and so ocean plastic too. When you're talking about ocean plastic, then are we talking about plastic that is floating out in the ocean? Right. Mm-hmm. We we know about all the the ocean plastics, yep. the the microplastics that are out there. Is this the same ocean plastic that you guys are getting, or is this ocean plastics that washes up on the beach? So we see ocean plastic in a few different sort of categories. Uh, there's certainly high seas, which you know groups like the Ocean Cleanup mm-hmm. are are very much you know focused on. That material is far out in the gyres. Um, some of it's been around for 30, 40, 50 years. And what, uh, that ocean sweep, you said, is that, um, what's his name? Uh, Boyan Slat. Slat. Yeah. Yep, so we're okay. really friendly with the ocean cleanup. Cool. Um, so Do you have any updates on that? Uh, they're testing some of their initial um, systems right now in San Francisco. Cool. And are you hopeful with, the, with his? Yeah, we are. I mean, optimism is is a key attribute to any entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, so you know, we really admire what they're they're going out to achieve. Cool. Um, I think everyone's waiting to see the end result, but I think they have all the best intentions. Cool. It's not easy what they're trying to do. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but that's what makes it exciting. Yep. You know, so so that's high seas plastic, and then you know you have your coastal plastic, which is essentially it's floating. It's within you know, let's say five kilometers of the shoreline. And then you have what some companies would come out like P&G with TerraCycle calling beach plastic. This is material that is physically washed up on the shoreline. And then you have sort of your waterway plastic. So canals, rivers, uh, this plastic is on the move. It's suspended and it's, it's headed towards the ocean. So it's relatively incredibly dangerous because um, once it exits that you know, estuary or water system, it's a lot harder to get. Yeah. And then if you work back up into uh, sort of a land base, you have ocean bound, which is another really big topic. Uh, this is essentially plastic that is imminently going to end up in a canal system or a waterway and subsequently uh, into the ocean. So when people think of ocean plastic, it's, it's really not cut and dry. There's so many different layers to it, predominantly because it's being used in areas where there's little to no uh, waste management services, and then high population density, let's say lack of access to potable water. So what you're having is just this cascading effect. Um, but it really also, this is a land-based issue that where it starts. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how we see it. And then obviously there's different costing in all those supply chains. And then some brands want high seas and some are okay with ocean bound. Some want beach like P&G and TerraCycle. Beach plastic is what they're they're comfortable with. Uh, our only concern is that it gets a little confusing for the consumer. Yeah, definitely. Um, somebody like P and G, then when they're um, nominating that plastic, uh, so you're able to trace it then and tell them exactly what you've what you've used in their products. Well, for P and G, so that was with TerraCycle. So TerraCycle was very um, comfortable saying if we're going to source, we're going to go beach. Okay. And real um, quick, let's tell everybody what TerraCycle is. I mean, I know they... Oh, they, sure, they, yeah. So TerraCycle, um, they recycle the unrecyclable. Almost anything. Yeah. yeah. Whether it's, it's, really unique, it's a unique toothbrush things. or a Capri Sun pack, um, they're incredibly talented. So Tom there, I think they've been running TerraCycle for like 16 years. I mean, he started out growing uh, growing worms and selling worm poop uh, <laughs> in Home Depot. And, you know, their sort of foray into, into ocean plastics... Um, is is a huge you know upside for us because again it shows that uh there's large companies that are interested in this and obviously P&G already does a lot of work with TerraCycle so we thought it was really admirable to see that we keep a really friendly relationship cool. uh, with TerraCycle okay um so partnerships is is huge sounds like for what you guys do this whole this whole industry it has to be driven by partnerships yeah. um i think there's some players in the space that are a little more siloed you know whether they're One's Microsoft and one could be Apple. You know, we kind of want to be Linux. We want to be more open source, accessible, transparent, because um, the ultimate goal here is removing as many thousands of tons of plastic from the ocean as possible. Yeah. That's that's really our mission. Do you guys quantify how much um, plastic you've you've been able to uh, keep away, keep out of the ocean, or, or how much you've used in your materials? Uh, yeah, so we're starting to quantify that now. Um, Norton Point was different, so that for every product sold, there was about... Um, one pound of plastic removed. So we were able to quantify that. With OceanWorks, since we're still just getting started out, um, we haven't really been able to 
you know, compile anything yet. Yeah. Once all these projects we have in place now, especially in the retail world, won't be coming out until later next year. Uh, then we'll have metrics on all of that. But yeah, part of our, our verification is, is quantifying all of that. Okay. Um, one thing people had always asked me, kind of people when I was working in the brand space, you would kind of you would have product people maybe come up or marketing people going, hey, can't we just go put every, you know sweep everything up and just turn that into something? I mean, is is it that easy? And would oh, everybody so that be doing be it? Like, Taking um, all the plastics, just mm-hmm. cleaning them all up. Let's mm-hmm. say the the clean sweep, mm-hmm. and once you have all that material, is it all ready to go and be turned into new products? Or I mean, Not it's, at all. it's a complicated. System, it's super right? complicated. Um, like a cold melt. So there's some organizations out there making like building bricks for housing. Mm-hmm. That's basically when you just pile all the stuff in, um, almost like a double boiler, and you cold. It's called cold melting, but essentially, you're melting it down into like a solid block, and there's all these different polymers in there and such. So it's a so, mix of everything. It's a mix of everything. You have issues with like VOCs, yep. other carcinogens, um, let alone the off gas from from sort of melting it back down. But essentially, you're going to be able to make like a low grade product. Okay. Um, to go through the actual cleaning and processing is really complicated. So you have a lot of organic matter, uh, which should be you know anything from barnacles to salt water um, degradation. So the actual processing is really um, the most important stage. Okay. Because you have to get it back to a point where the, it can be uh, injection molded again or turned into a fiber or whatnot. Yeah. So one of the most, um, as far as I can see, one of the most public-facing campaigns you've had so far is the one that you did with Outer Known, where mm-hmm. Outer Known used your, used your buttons. Yep. And I love that you've got the coordinates on there as yep. well to kind so of So that was our people. proof of concept. Um, so what, we've taken all of our learnings from that, and then we're pretty soon making some pretty large announcements uh, with what we were able to establish with Outer Known, all the learnings, and we're pretty confident with the product we're rolling out next that it's going to solve a lot of uh, problems for brands that want to get involved in ocean plastics and make it even easier. Yeah. Maybe tell us why, um, why is, I mean, I guess, why is it so important? I think it's a, it's a, it's an obvious question maybe, but what's going on with ocean plastics and ocean debris in general? What are you, what are you finding now that you're in that space as a, as a profession? There is more than enough to go around. Mm, Um, Unfortunately. It's a weird industry. There's, it's not really constrained by supply. Um, it's really constrained by demand. So the biggest thing that we've really seen is demand is, is starting to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, implementation is, is, is getting there. Like you're seeing more products being made. Uh, but obviously in consumer goods, the, the cycle to release a new product could be anywhere from six months to uh, two to three years. So I think a lot of things are currently sort of in the oven. Uh, and I think 2019 and 2020, we're going to see a lot more ocean plastic products. I think made alongside with Ocean Works, but um, you know we're huge proponents of, of anyone getting involved in ocean plastics. Right. Um, are there big brands? Is anybody surprising you that is knocking on your door? Does uh, yeah, we're we're a little blown away uh, by some of the interest. I mean, a lot of Fortune 500s, um, some of the largest publicly traded companies in the world, uh, and some that aren't even making um, products. Mm. Some that are. Uh, service driven, but they want to be involved because they know this is a heartfelt issue for consumers uh, and they feel like they have such an incredible sort of brand position that they could help drive awareness of the issue and, and ultimately change people's behavior, how they think about plastics. Yeah. As far as a consumer thinking about plastics too, maybe are there any misconceptions where consumers might say, oh, well, if it's made of ocean plastic, it's not It's not going to be as good. It's not as strong. It's sure. di- it's dirty. Yeah. You know, that was some of our initial fears when we launched Norton Point. Or like, are people going to be weirded out? You right. know, that there's like a recycled plastic and it's, it's icky or it's dirty. Trash from the beach. Yeah. That generally has gone away from what we've seen. Cool. Um, so that hasn't become a, such a major issue. Uh, you know, quality is always a big deal. Typically with a lot of, you know, commercial uh, brands, you know, recycled materials always had less performance characteristics um, and sometimes are more expensive. So it was, it was dead on arrival. You know, what we're trying to do is add more value and actually prove that you can make uh, high quality goods from these materials. Um, and we'd like to think that we have a lot of the capabilities to actually help you do that. So you feel good and optimistic about the uh, the future of collecting trash and turning yeah, it into Yeah, I mean, valuables. having literally been this Friday, it'll be two years since you launched Norton Point. Um, I think even in in another two years from now, it it won't even be recognizable. Yeah. Like how much larger this is really going to go. And we're excited to see 
where else it can sort of permeate. You know, right now it's we're doing a lot of trims in the apparel industry. Um, who knows if automotive gets involved in some of these larger industries that procure millions and millions of tons of plastic. Um, you know, we might be in some ways on the dawn of an entirely new era of plastic. So for, how about for consumers again, when, if they see a product in the marketplace, do, do they know that it was maybe that it had Oceanworks plastic in it? Will they know, was it branded or could they potentially you know, be using a product and not even know? Yeah, so that's a big thing for us is we really wanna be uh, forward facing with the consumer. Yeah. Um, so you know, we're really admirable of you know, like the Intel's inside, the Gore-Tex model, PrimaLoft. Um, so yeah, we're gonna be uh, launching a few different initiatives to help educate the consumer on really what they're purchasing both to help them understand you know, what's going on and mm-hmm. let's say where the materials come from and such, but also for the brand so that they have a really easy and understandable story to tell the consumer uh, so that they really have a better position to make a decision. And how about um, how about verifications? Or one of the podcasts I did recently was on mm-hmm. third-party certifications. Mm-hmm. So, are there any that you're working with? How do you feel about those? Are they more trouble than they're worth? Are they are they do they offer value to the consumer? Yeah. So for us, like um, we're rolling out like a verified ocean plastic uh, platform and product. And essentially, some of the bigger asks we get from larger brands is, um, you know, I always joke like, show me the Carfax, like prove to us that this material is provenance from where you say it does Mm -hmm. and we will seriously look at this if you cannot it's just too risky right so verification uh, is a huge huge thing for us uh, because it helps de-risk not only for uh, the commercial customers but also um, the consumer has a right to really know what's going on our biggest fear is bad actors get into the space and what really is not ocean plastic is purported to be ocean plastic and then brands lose faith in these supply chains and consumers realize that this might not be what uh, is being sort of proposed. And that could have huge repercussions. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested, Rob, this is, I'm fascinated by the, the business model that you're taking and, the, and your sort of your commitment to this, to this path that you're on. I congratulate you for it and it's awesome. How did you always know this was where you would, you would be? You know, as an entrepreneur, have you always been an entrepreneur? Maybe give us a little bit of, uh, of your background yeah, on how sure. you arrived here. Um, so I was very fortunate um, when I was younger to actually leave high school after junior year. So I spent my senior year of high school at community college. Um, so I didn't have to go back to high school at all. Um, but I still walked with all my friends at graduation. Nice. But in that time, I was able to get 42 college credits by the time I walked in, in high school. So I was wow. almost a year and a half ahead of my friends. So that allowed me to kind of rethink how my college experience would go, which then allowed me to actually go to school in Australia when I was 18, which had a huge impact on my life just from, you know, loving the ocean, but just Australia is a pretty incredible country with a huge mindset on the ocean Mm. and also just, um, you know, a really great sense of adventure. So that led me to have, thankfully, a pretty nomadic life. Um, throughout college, was able to go abroad several times, um, most importantly in China, which really opened up my eyes. That was in 2006. So that was actually before the, uh, the Beijing Olympics. So really seeing what China really had going on, um, but also really becoming more of like a global citizen. Uh, but yeah, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I had a clothing company in high school and I was always kind of wheeling and dealing with different ideas, but I've always been obsessed with brands. So the fact that I'm now back in a position where I love to make things, but I get to actually talk with brands on a daily basis about making things and then making things out of ocean plastic, I really couldn't have asked for a better situation. Yeah. What did you study? What was your What was your focus in school? And how, um, long, how long were you in Australia? And how long were you uh, in Australia China? was for a semester, uh, China for a semester, and then I did Spain and London for a whole summer. Gosh. So I actually ended up studying international relations uh, at American universities where I got my degree. Um, when I was transferring, I looked at business programs and such, but my credits didn't line up and I didn't want to lose any time. But I didn't feel like I needed a business degree to really have you know, a career in business. Um, in some ways, it's helped me because it's, it's forced me to kind of think outside the box. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, once I graduated, I started another company called Brucey's Eyewear. I invented sunglasses that... Uh, had a bottle opener on them. Yeah, I saw that. You those know, are, those so are cool. I really had no idea what I was doing. Um, my parents were sort of like, 
let's see where this goes. But I was really determined um, to really actually not only have an idea, get it patented, whatever, but actually launch it and, and see it through. And, you know, I was able to do that. And that definitely gave me the confidence that, you know, if you put your mind to something as cliche as it is, uh, you can do it. And it, yeah. it really is true. Um, but you'd have to be pretty stubborn and you have to be willing to be misunderstood uh, for long periods of time. You know, it's like my favorite Jeff Bezos quote. Amazon 10 years ago, everyone was like, what is this guy doing? Yeah. They're not making any money, selling books. What's this? And it's a much different story now. Right. So um, it's it's sometimes it's a lonely road, at, you know, being an entrepreneur. But I think when you find the right idea in the right market and you have the right team behind you, oh, my gosh, anything's possible. Yeah. Um, perseverance also seems to be something that comes up a lot. Right? That's everything. Yeah. You know, and perseverance for the right idea. Mm-hmm. You know, there's definitely businesses that I've I've shuttered just because you could you could persevere all you want, but if it's just not the right market and not the right product, um, you have to be willing to walk away sometimes. Yeah. Where do you think that? How do you find that tipping point? Where do you when, when do you know that you've arrived at that point? I mean, because that's that's a tough call to to walk away from something that you typically kind of if you're not listening to the customer and really not listening to the problem they have. And if you really can't solve their problem, you, you, you really, you don't have a business. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs go out and subscribe to the, if you build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. And that's a tragic outcome that you see played out day in and day out. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if we had done that with Oceanworks, you know, we would have said, all right, well, we're just gonna keep making sunglasses because that's just what we do. Right. And, but we, if you're not listening to the market and listening to potential customers, then you don't really know what they want. And then you have no, then you're, you're basically flying the plane without your hands on the wheel. That's a great point. So, I mean, you guys were able to do a pivot and just sort of say, Hey, here's yeah. people, people are knocking on this door. It might mm-hmm. be, it might be time for us to open it up. Tell me about the, um, you were just, uh, were you, were you a speaker? You were at the international Marine debris conference, the sixth international Marine yep, debris conference. Down in San Diego. Yeah. That seemed like a cool thing. It looked like Jack Johnson and his wife were there and yeah, it looked so like that, kind of a big that's deal. That's been going on for a long time, you know, so they do that, I think every six years. So this is, that was a conference that's been around for 36 years. Wow. So, you know, I think a lot of people think about ocean plastics as this new movement or new phenomenon. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but there's been scientists and academics and, and many others that have been sort of, you know, screaming fire for a very long time. So I think a lot of them are feeling validated that it's becoming more uh, prescient. But at the same time, you know, I find it like that's a long time right? to be, you know, we haven't done anything about it yet. A little bit scary. It is. A because, little disheartening, actually. Um, imagine what we could have done if this was as important now as it was 36 years ago. Yeah. Um, how different the world would be. With the amount, I mean, leaving a conference like that, do you feel optimistic? It just seems like with the amount of plastic that's being produced on a daily basis, mm-hmm. I mean, I know just even from the plastic bottle industry, it's something like 20,000 plastic bottles per second are being made, you know, so mm-hmm. it's a million over a million per minute. Um, is there is there hope? And, and then also even kind of transitioning into even into the microplastic issue, right, from the, te- the textile fibers. Which is fibers. terrifying. Yeah, really <laughs> terrifying, and they're yeah. finding... Uh, micro, you know, nanoparticles of plastic in sea salts, and it's in everything, mm-hmm. and, sh- and shellfish. And what was the what was the takeaway from there? Is there sort of, you know, are there solutions? Is there hope, or is it um, solutions? I mean, that's a very academic forward, you know, conference, mm-hmm. uh, which is great because you're actually there's there's scientists right. that are <laughs> that are there presenting, you know, their findings. I think there's general optimism, uh, but I think to your point, the rate at which the oceans are being polluted with plastic supersedes any of these scientific solutions yeah so here we are you know the ocean cleanup is going to tow out a you know 120 kilometer system you know to collect material um you know pacific gyre but that's just it's really a drop in the bucket yeah yeah, you know unfortunately um, and microfibers i think you know obviously like patagonia's even trying to sort this out i mean it's they've been doing the micro fleece or i know what they call it the uh cinchilla Mm mm-hmm and, you know, we're all coming to find that those have been discarding, you know, PET fibers uh, for, for decades. Yeah. And I think there was that study, the Guardian released, so like, 
almost 80 or something percent of the U.S. tap water has microfiber plastics in it. Yeah, it's really frightening, and I think everybody in the apparel industry is sort of scrambling to figure out, like, where do we point the finger? You know, is it certain types of fabric? Are there certain fibers worse than others? Are sure. there treatments that we can have? Or is it a consumer issue? Is it a washing machine issue? Should the washing machines be catching it? Yeah. Everybody's going, not us, Yeah, not and then us. they're blaming one another. So, you know, the washing machine companies are like, this isn't, you know. Yeah, not our fault. Yeah, you know, so it ends up sort of just being... Um, People's pointing fingers. Yeah, and I think I think that that particular problem though points to how complicated and how complex the situation is, right? Mm-hmm. Because even the the brands can say, "Hey, not our bad." You know, we we look to the to the fiber, you know, or to mm-hmm. the fabric mills, and the mm-hmm. fabric mills say, "Hey, not our bad." We look to the to the fiber, the yarn suppliers. Yep. The yarn suppliers look to the fiber suppliers, and the fiber suppliers say, "How could we possibly know?" You know, so yeah. really, um, it's a complex system out there. Um, how about um, are you you're, you work with University of Georgia's New Materials Institute? Is that something? Uh, yeah, so that was with Norman Point. So that was for like a, a short period of time. Okay. Um, so now we do a lot more work with like North Carolina State. Mm. Uh, so my co-founder, Ali Khalifa, and our chief innovation officer. Um, so he's based in a Raleigh office. Uh, he's an alum of North Carolina State. He's also an entrepreneur in residence there. Mm. Uh, so as an engineering school, we've been able to tap into a number of their resources and some of their... Um, Masters of Engineering program, so we'll be unveiling a couple cool things that they've been working on on our behalf. Awesome. Uh, so the students there uh, were incredibly excited about, you know, some of the things we're doing with ocean plastics. Yeah, it's a really exciting space, and I can only imagine. Um, I'm sure you're getting hit up for internships and people that want to be a part of yeah, it. Yeah, and, and, and that's been really exciting. It's just to see the general uh, interests, you know, whether it's MBA candidates or PhDs. Um, a lot of people are starting to, you know, see this and say, you know. Is there a, a, is there like a career around ocean plastics? And there might be. Yeah, let's and let's um, let's discuss that real quick because I think that's an interesting. I think uh, our audience, you know, I'm always getting hit up about how do I get a career in that space? You know, how mm-hmm. do I? Because once once you sort of know about the issues that we're dealing with in the environment and business and the power that business has. Um, or just even be, being a career professional in the sustainability space. Mm-hmm. Do you have a take on that as far as being a specific sustainability type person or just sort of running a business and doing what you're doing and doing it, uh, doing it better? Mm-hmm. Is there a difference between the two? And what, do you, what, would, what might you suggest to young professionals or students that are trying to find their way and want to be a part of, they either want to have sustainability in their title and they want to be able to say, hey, I'm making a difference or... Should they go on and just try to sort of do the business that they're going to do anyway and just become educated and do it better? I mean, it's a little bit of both, but I think it all comes down to like, can you drive value? You know, so if you are going to go into sustainability in the position or role you're going to do, or if you want to start your own company, are you going to be able to drive actual value and a true return on investment? Yeah. Um, There's a term floating around like CSROI, right? So like, I think companies want to, I think sustainability is becoming far more important. Mm-hmm. Some companies now have teams of 20, 30, 50 sustainability professionals. Yep. Uh, but are they going to, are they really able to drive value and to drive impact? And when you say drive value, yeah, you're talking about impact value or um, shareholder value or? I think or it's, both? it's all around. Like, when you has, say, sorry, real quick to interrupt, yeah. but like when you say CSR, CSROI, we're talking about corporate social responsibility. Yeah. Or so, reach, corporate social. Yeah, so Return typically, like, you know, a lot of those dollars, whether it's it's philanthropic, you know, so if a company is going to be donating money to a nonprofit, typically it's a one-way uh, flow of capital. So here, I'm going to support your idea. Um, good luck. Yeah. You know, where we want to see it, and where I think there's real value, is when uh, companies or sustainability professionals can drive, um, you know, results that are measurable, so that sustainability isn't seen as like, oh, those are the folks that just try and make the, the office greener. Right, right. You know, we're like, I'd love to see sustainability. It's like, that's a key core driver to our business. Mm. You know, that's part of our DNA. And sustainability, you know, trumps, you know, all else. And how do you think that happens? I think it comes down to choice. Yeah. You know, and I think it also comes down to you know, how businesses want to structure themselves. Like yeah. Outer Known was born from, you know, Kelly Slater exiting his contract with Quicksilver, uh, teaming up with John Moore and saying, let's do something sustainable. And you started that way from the beginning. Sure. I think Patagonia has had a really great um, sort of uh, establishment of that too. And, and I think more brands now are starting to realize that maybe over the last, you know, 10, 20 years, they've deviated from doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I think sustainability, especially with the millennials coming up, I'm a millennial, 
I think sustainability is super important. And I think that's, these are some of the early indicators that we see. That's why, you know, our investors are excited about what we're doing. We're excited. Our customers are excited because there's this feeling of sustainability is actually going to start being a main core component in people's daily lives. Yeah. And I would like to see it. And then in the corporate world, then if, if it is a main core component, even of the business, then maybe there are no more titles, you know, there sure. are no departments. It's just sort of, that's just the way the business is built. And that's mm-hmm. what we all do. And everybody plays their role in it. Yeah. I think that would be a great way to see it all end yeah. up playing out. Um, we have limited resources on this earth um, and we have more and more people every year. We're going to have to start thinking about how we how we use those resources and how we manage them because um, it, it's clear it, it's not going to last forever. No, no kidding. Um, and you're seeing it. So working with all these brands, give us sort of your take on sort of the state of of the movement. Are more and more brands adopting this? Are, um, yeah, I mean, we're in diligence with more brands that we ever could have imagined. That's good. Um, surprising. Are there any of the brands surprising or is it sort of the same usual suspects? No, it's very surprising. Um, you know, there's some brands that you think are a total slam dunk and you mm-hmm. get in front of the right decision makers in the C-suite and they can really care less. Mm. Uh, business is working just fine the way it is. Yeah. And, you know, virgin plastics in their products keep the margins where they need to be and they don't they don't really want to uh, rock the boat. Meanwhile, they're selling a product into some of the largest outdoor, you know, industry uh, consumer groups in the world. Yeah. Uh, so that's disheartening. But then on the flip side, you know, you have other companies that, you know, you think they would be open to it, um, but you know, they may have a challenging product or this product's been around for a hundred years and they're all about it. You know, uh, and we have a lot of people to thank for that. You know, like like. You know, we don't do a lot of work with Parlay, but what they've done with Adidas has really helped, you know, companies like Oceanworks because it's driving awareness of what's possible and it's also showing, you know, I mean, Adidas has sold a million pairs of those shoes. Yeah, which I really want a pair of those shoes. They, they were sold out and, uh, and then they're so expensive. That's the hard part. Right. So how Adidas justifies, you know, their business model probably differs from us, mm-hmm. but it what we're finding is like a lot of CEOs we're talking to are like, we want to do what Adidas did. We want that story for our product segment. And it's causing us to kind of rethink our business model, you know, where story is so important because brands are stories, right? It's all about storytelling. Yeah. People buy the product because they love the story. Well, and gosh, it's such a, to me, it's such a no brainer too, especially for people that are making, let's say, uh, you know, woven shirts. And I mean, everybody has a, if you've got a plaid woven shirt, everybody's got buttons on it. So yeah. there's your differentiator, you know, it's like yeah. to, to be able to say you're doing it better. It's made, mm-hmm. you know, with a social impact story mm-hmm. and of ocean plastics yeah. and you've got all these great stories. Mm-hmm. That's your differentiator. Yeah, it's dead simple, you know, so our hope is five years from now, we kind of laugh and be like, you know, we used to make, you know, buttons and, you know, help the apparel industry get more circular. Mm-hmm. Um, and gosh, in five years, who knows what we're doing? But I think buttons and trims, is kind of where we're cutting our teeth because they're easier to manufacture. Mm-hmm. You don't have to change any SOPs. It's it's a, a plastic disc with four holes. Yeah. Uh, the consumer is going to touch it. They're going to feel it, and it's a really cool product enhancement. Yeah. So you can have a, a pair of cotton pants with uh, regular buttons, or the same pants with ocean plastic. You got to have a different story to tell. Absolutely. And I think that helps drive sales, but it also helps drive awareness. And I think for the brands, it helps drive their their core differentiator. Right. So using ocean plastics as a competitive advantage. And what's that ocean plastic? This kind of goes back to earlier, I should have um, asked this question, but where does that that ocean plastic go otherwise, even if it is collected or cleaned up? I mean, it is- So that's the hard part. Like the collection, you know, groups that have been around, um, some that we've dealt with or spoken to, you know, collected a law and so if you know if you build it they will come and, and some are sitting on hundreds and hundreds of tons of material and you mentioned this earlier it's demand though right demand is really tricky because demand has to be um configured to make business sense mm-hmm. what makes sense to you and i is far different than what makes sense to a ceo with a board of directors shareholders and you know fiduciary responsibilities yeah uh, it, it's not so cut and dry um but, you know, the collection groups, I think, are really the unsung heroes. Um, they're, you know, the boots on the ground, you know, really being involved in the day-to-day. But they need offtake and they need that demand so that they can go out and clean up more, hire more people locally, uh, improve the livelihoods of those living in these areas where ocean plastics are so concentrated. Um, 
but you know it's a multi-tiered approach uh, and then they need to have the capability of getting that material to a processor that uh, can work with it but if that material has a lot of contamination in it a lot of times processors we've heard of will just reject it mm. and then to answer your question uh landfill yeah. or it's burned yeah you know so you know dig a trench and throw in the, you know, the material and pour some diesel on it and light it up it's it's tragic mm. um so is that done a lot here in the u.s is it is in it the a- u.s a lot of that um i mean pcr here is a generally good market but you know, quality and contamination is a big deal. Like, you know, it has to you know be sorted properly in, in many ways if it has contamination. So, like, if you're throwing in a coffee and recycling bin, the coffee then gets on the pizza box. The pizza box leaks grease onto the plastic, and then all of a sudden, it's all contaminated. Uh, a lot of loads end up in the landfill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, like our VP of uh, Global Biz Dev, Brian Thurston. Uh, he's formerly with waste management, so you know we've learned all of this. Like, it's incredibly challenging. Yeah, is maybe with some insight from Brian, is it? Are we? What's our? Gosh, what's our? Um, when we put things in the recycling bin, is is most of that being recycled, or is there a yeah, lot? Yeah, single they... stream recycling, you know, is is a huge challenge. Yeah. Because I mean, it's easy for the consumer to kind of put it all Just in say, there. Oh, this must this must be recyclable. Right, yeah. but then you know when it gets to the MRF, like all hell breaks loose. Right. Um, you know, and the more times the material is touched, like the more it's going to cost. Mm. You know, so if you have to get a whole separate line to have it like extra picked, I think in some ways it's probably cheaper for that you know the waste industry to landfill it. Just throw it away. Or you know a lot of people are looking at plastics you know uh, as energy source. Uh, some people are trying to develop it into fuels, uh, which is all great. Um, but it, it's still sort of a zero sum game. Wow. It's a big, uh, it's a big complex, complex system. Yeah, we can't solve the whole problem. You know, we have to be really laser focused on the problem that we can solve right now yeah. for our customers right now. Well, that, they, then you guys become a building block, though, in the in the overall solution because I mean, if if they see OceanWorks as a success, then more business people come in and say, yeah. you know what, then we want to do that too. Let's do it a little bit differently. Yep. No, exactly. I mean, this there's a really big pie out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we're not trying to sort of take the whole thing. Um, you know, we're just trying to, to basically deliver as much value to our customers as possible, and at the same time, deliver the most, um, you know, the most value to the environment. So it's really about removing tonnage. And when we talk to customers, this first thing is like, how serious are you? You're like, you know, 100 pounds isn't going to cut it. Yeah. You yeah. know, like what we, we really have to move the needle here. So you need some, you need some big brands. You need some big volume. Big brands, brands. Um, and at the same time, you have to pair that with consumers that are willing to, you know make the switch yeah um what rob here on a personal note what do you see are there products in your life that you use that you wish were made more sustainably or that could be made in a better way sort of in the way that you're doing things oh absolutely um oh man where to start (laughs) i mean just packaging in general drives me crazy no kidding i mean we've all struggled uh, the joke is called like government plastic, like the stuff you have to get scissors and you might cut your hand wide open. Mm-hmm. I think packaging has to be completely re, re redesigned. Yeah. Um, and do you think that's an industry problem or a consumer problem? It's industry. I mean, as a consumer, yeah, you can you can choose, you know, the coffee that's in a recyclable bag, or you can choose the Folgers that's in a, a you know, plastic tin. Yeah. I'm sorry, like plastic tub, or whatever. <laughs> You're going to have a different cost. Right. Um, I think it's, you know, it's made it a lot easier to, to scale products, uh, with the way packaging has been designed, um, and really has no, you know, life cycle assessment attached to it. So the rate at which all of that is discarded is insane. Like when I get my coffees, I go topless, you know, so I ask me, you know, no lid, um, you know, but still. And I got a question for yeah. you because I've done that too. And then how many times have you cursed yourself for doing that? Be like, damn, why can't I, why can't we just have a better solution for the lid so that I can have my lid? Sure. For the to, so it serves the purpose that it needs. As you're like spilling it on your hands, you're almost dropping your coffee. It's yeah, so hot. you know. So like, I actually, I just like stopped getting, <laughs> getting coffee, coffee out. Go, yeah, I just I agree. you know, I, I bought a, I have a French press and I kind of zone out in the morning and I, I do my thing. Yeah. Um, hey, you save a lot of money, but you know. Something has to give. Yeah. Uh, I think plastics have made our lives so incredibly uh, easy. Right. Um, but, and now we're you know, paying plastics for it. are also, you know, a lot of some people say ban it all, but, you know, 
let's say in the medical field, plastics are incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, they've they've allowed so many breakthroughs. So it's, I think we all need a gut check with what's sensible and what really needs to be sort of reeled back in. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the bottled water industry, I mean, that's, it's all about money. You know, at the end of the day, they figured out we can sell bottled water. Yeah. And like, think about how crazy that really sounds. It's a, but that is huge. And, and, Completely huge. And scary. Terrifying. Gosh, that article, speaking of The Guardian, I just read this article from The Guardian. It was done last year on just sort of the state. And a lot of people picked it up. Uh, Forbes picked it up. But really crazy article on just the state of the plastic bottle mm-hmm. industry and the volume and that we just can't keep up with it. And even just some of the images that are on there of just, you know, mostly in China dealing with these mountains of yeah. plastic bottles. And that, you know, the, it, uh, in, in the ocean by 2050, it's apparently, you know, that plastic will overtake the weight of sea life. And yeah, and then that, that's real. Like, those are, those are real statistics. And even, um, I think every year we pl- produce enough plastic bottles, um, the weight overtakes the weight of humanity, basically. Mm-hmm. Every year we do that. So we're just yeah. adding and adding and adding. It's, um, it's a troubling reality, <laughs> you know, and that's just water bottles. Yeah, and exactly. And you have everything else along with it. Um, poly bags is another big thing yeah. people are approaching us about poly bags are really cheap you know so when you buy your clothes you know on e-commerce some companies now are ditching them yeah which means then they have to kind of differentiate how they bring over the product from overseas um, but you know you tear into that bag and you, know, you take out those nice jeans you just bought or whatever it is and then and then what yeah. you know so that's terrifying yeah you know and for us it's like in the apparel space you know, you can do all these great sustainable things, but then if the product ends up in a plastic bag, it, it sort of, you know, negates the whole purpose of, of being sustainable. Mm. So plastics is, it almost has to be recoded. You know, if, if that's analog, we need to go into digital. Yeah. Know? Recoded with a D, not a T, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no more coatings. We don't need any other uh, polyethylene yep. coatings or anything. Rob, what are your um, what are your what's some advice you might have to to just young you know young professionals, young students who are maybe listening and just sort of on the fringe of their career space and mm-hmm. getting into business and working with a brand or working, just sort of going, hey, where where do I go? You know, I'm yeah. about to graduate. Now what? Obviously, you know, there's I guess in the sustainable you know degree space, there's two tracks, maybe three. Um, you know, you can go to the nonprofit world. Uh, you can go into the for-profit, you know, private sector, I guess you'd say. And then you can also, you, you can start your own thing, whether it's a consultancy uh, or a product or a service business. Um, but I think, you know, looking back for me, I would say starting out in an organization where you can really learn uh, and really get a good feel of like how a business operates. If you want to get into business, you have to really understand how they work. Um, how they function and, and why they potentially why they fail why they're successful so I think getting experience uh, is great for that so like you know we definitely applaud anyone interested in what we're doing uh, we do have a couple of summer internships uh, positions available and you know we hope to inspire people I'd love to have an employee come through that be with us for several years and then be inspired to go off and start their own thing yeah um, just kind of sort of pollinate uh, sustainability so those are things that are really important to us um, because if I was just getting started out and I wanted to do things in ocean plastics, I'd probably email a company like Oceanworks. We get inquiries almost every day from students and they're doing research papers or they want to get involved in sustainability. Um, but a lot of people in sustainability roles uh, were doing things before that. You know, they were maybe on the product development team or they were on the marketing team. Yep. Um, so I think the fast track straight to sustainability, I don't know if that's really that feasible. Right. Because uh, you need experience to really have uh, perspective. I agree. You know, perspective takes time. And I think sometimes, I, th- I think for me in getting my role that I had too, came from trust. Sure. You know, especially in a company where a uh, sustainability role doesn't exist. Yeah. You can sell yourself saying, hey, you know what? I understand how the company works, the needs, the priorities, mm-hmm. uh, d- deadlines, margin, all those things, but I want to help us do it better. Yeah. Can you put me in a position to help us do it better and we have a better marketing story? They're like, you know what? I, tr- I trust that you're not going to mess with the business, mm-hmm. you know? And so... Uh, that yeah, no, be- I think that's really important. Um, you know, so like sustainably not being basically like a roadblock internally, but really being a value added asset. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're sort of trying to conjure with the customers we're talking to is that you can be sustainable with ocean plastic and still drive your business forward. Um, you know, your costs 
may go up, but then your sales may double. Sure. So proving that out is going to be like the next big wave for us. Um, and that's why we're really happy with the outcomes without or known. Um, you know, they went from one product pair of the sea leg pants uh, to now three. And then we have some other really exciting things that we'll be, uh, <laughs> we'll be showing uh, with them and, and a lot of other companies too. So. Where do people uh, where do people stay updated with all the all the great things that are coming from from OceanWorks and? Uh, so we're gonna be launching like a, like a monthly newsletter uh, cool. this year. Okay. Actually, probably this summer. Um, so that'd be a great way people to stay updated, both uh, our commercial partners but also consumers. Uh, so we're we're starting to lay out the groundwork to be a lot more forward facing um, as we've grown because we're feeling pretty comfortable with the situation that we're in, um, and we're also feeling there's a responsibility to. Um, kind of be a steward in the space mm-hmm. so that people kind of are, are really well educated. There isn't even really a central news source. Um, you know, like we have an internal Slack channel on our team and, you know, we set up an RSS feed when Ocean Plastics mentioned it's, it's dinging nonstop. Wow. And it wasn't like that six months ago. So who knows, you might have, you might find yourself in another pivot uh, becoming <laughs> a uh, Ocean Debris news outlet or something. Uh, we definitely want to be a resource for information yeah. um, uh, and for good information, you know, so that people can make educated decisions, yeah. whether they're a consumer or if they're a brand. And if it's not for them, it's okay. Um, you know, not everyone got the first iPhone when it came out. That's right. You know, some people and not some people stayed with their Blackberries. I don't. You know, I like my keyboard the way it is. So we call those uh, sustainability laggards, or, uh, <laughs> yeah. right? Early adopters. Um, you know, you and fall? I, I think every industry has early adopters yeah. that are known for that. Yeah. And most of the companies we're talking to are exactly that. Where do you think we are, we're at? Uh, my last question, maybe here. What do you, where do you think we're at on the life cycle of that? Then you know, do you think we're we're in the early adoption phase, or are we beyond that now, where we're sort of we should be transitioning? We're right to, in the heart of the early adoption yeah. phase because. Okay. From what we know, there's a lot of different products, some through us and some through others, that are, are coming out next year and the year after. Um, and I think that's going to be a chain effect. Cool. So that will snowball into what we see as like an entire paradigm shift. So you're optimistic. Incredibly, you know. Great. Everyone quotes the graduate, you know, half our meetings, you know, plastics, the future. <laughs> you know, that was the 1960s when they really synthesized plastics. And yeah. They, they figured out a way to make more money from a barrel of crude oil. And I uh, we're really hopeful the next 60 years is when plastics is completely reinvented into uh, a resource yeah. rather than just something that's endless. Right. So um, I guess I hope this will be around 60 years. We'll see. Um, but it'd be nice to see it play out. Yeah. Well, Rob, it's been awesome. Thank you. Really insightful. Is there anything else you, uh, you want to add or plug for um, any of the businesses that you're working on? Um, no, I think we're good. So, okay. you know, thanks again for having us. Rob, it was um, great. Thank fantastic. you. Fantastic. Thanks for sharing your story. Um, we'll put all of Rob's links uh, in the show notes. So, um, Rob, thank you. Thanks for taking for sure. some time. Thanks, guys. Come in. For more stories like this, or to learn more about our host, visit theunderswell.com. <laughs>